Hello again, Fight Fans. Welcome to episode number 201B of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero. And for those of you watching live on YouTube, you can see a different setup behind me. No, this isn't the studio. We're actually making some uh, last-minute changes and getting everything fixed up and ready. The next episode of the Neutral Corner, which will be next, not next Monday, the Monday after next, December 30th. It'll be New Year's Eve Eve will be from the new MOB studio. So that's pretty exciting. But right now we're just doing some last minute construction stuff. So I'm up here uh, upstairs in my living room in front of my Christmas tree. I thought it'd be fun to put on my Santa sweater and my Santa hat and sit in front of the Christmas tree and do this episode with you guys because we won't have a show next week. I'm going to have friends and family in town I also have a lot of work to do. I have an assignment for Ring, and I'll be covering the Davis Gamboa card live here in Atlanta. So I got a lot of stuff to prep for. Won't be able to do a show. I might do a ringside recap uh, type of thing, a live video from the the Davis Gamboa card, depending on how everything turns out and how the, the sound is in there. If they're playing a bunch of music and shit, I can't do it because YouTube will hit me for copyright infringement. And you guys won't even be able to hear me if they're blasting music. But if it's actually quiet and I can do a ringside recap video right there at State Farm Arena, I will. If I don't get a chance to do that, the next video you probably see from my channel will be the next episode of TNC. So uh, episode 202 will be from the new MOB studio. How awesome is that? Guys, as always, uh, please... Share the show, post it everywhere, get the word out there. I need your guys' help. I'm an independent operator. I don't have corporate masses paying me money and telling me what I can do or say. I say and do what I please. And I do that because I am an independent operator, even though I contribute to several different platforms. So the best thing you could do to help me out is just spread the word, man. And um, look, for me, whether you celebrate Christmas or not, I'm going to go ahead and say Merry Christmas because we celebrate it, not necessarily in a religious sense, but to me what Christmas means is spending time with your loved ones, your friends, your family, but also it's the end of the year, reflecting back on everything that you accomplished this year, your highs, your lows, your ups and downs. So all of that, right? And for me, that includes you guys. You guys are part of my family. You're part of my boxing family. So I wanted to kind of get in the, in the festive spirit here and kick everything off today on this episode. That's why, again, I'm rocking the Christmas tree behind me. Check that thing out, man. That thing is like seven feet tall. Tiffany brought that home. It's a fake one. I'm going to admit it. She brought it home from like Target or something. I'm like, holy shit, woman. Where, where, where are we going to put that? But it actually fits perfectly at the top of our staircase, right in front of the window there behind me. And uh, it's massive, and the neighbors can see it from outside when they walk by because it's right in front of the window, and we got a bunch of lights on it. It's so bright here in the room where I'm recording this that you can't see the lights on. But in fact, yeah, all the lights are on right now, but you just can't see it. It's too bright in here. But they can see it outside, and the kids like to walk by and everything and see the massive tree through the window when they look up uh, as they walk by the house. Anyway, okay, so I just wanted to say Merry Christmas happy holidays, whatever it is. Happy Festivus if, you, if you're a Scrooge or don't like any of this stuff. I get into it, man. I like to have fun. Uh, I, it just brings out the kid in me. I, I have fun with this stuff. All right, let's get into some boxing news. We got a lot to talk about this week, man. A bunch of stuff happening right before the end of the year. I feel like it used to be the last few weeks of the year, nothing happened in boxing. It was just dead. 
And we were just talking about year-end awards and all that. And we'll probably do some year-end stuff, by the way, on the next episode that's coming up on New Year's Eve Eve. We'll probably talk about some year-end stuff. By the way, at Ring Magazine, um, we are releasing the names of our nominees for the year-end awards tomorrow. And then our winners, Monday. So thought I'd throw that out there because those are always fun. Fun to contribute to that stuff and be a part of it for both the website and the magazine. I, I contributed work to both this year and last year. So, um, yeah, man, as I look back and reflect on everything that we've done here, um, man, it's just been awesome. And we got some huge things coming up in 2020. I'm so freaking excited. But every year now, I feel like at the end of the year, the last two weeks now, we got big news. We got things that are happening and and fights are coming together now in early January, which is actually a really good thing. I love it. Boxing is like a year round sport and there used to kind of be a season to it. Almost there were times of the year when it died down, but now with all the platforms we have and everything, I feel like it's every month this year has had action. Of course, the fourth quarter has been crazy, but every month we've had some legit fights to look forward to. Anyway, Canelo Alvarez dumped the WBO light heavyweight title. Is this a surprise to anybody? I don't think so. Remember, I I told you guys months ago, and I'm not the only one who said this. There's a million people who said this, but uh, so I'm not trying to, you know, pretend I'm Nostradamus here, but some of you were saying, no, no, no. When I told you Canelo wasn't going to fight the other light heavyweights, this was a one-off. They were, they were plucking a title that they saw from a guy, Sergey Kovalev, who was well past his best, softened up. He had, I think, a six-week training camp, right? Just a few weeks of sparring. Real quick turnaround after a brutal fight with Anthony Yard where he was almost knocked out. And a lot of you said, no way, man, no way. You're just hating Mike. You're hating on Canelo. Well, look what happens. He dumps the title. And I talked to Eddie Reynoso literally two nights ago. And two, three nights ago. And he told me straight up the five names that they're looking at. And he, by the way, I need to clear this up because I asked them specifically, what about 160 pounds? And Eddie told me straight up, we can make 160 pounds. If we have a full camp where we can prepare, you know, no last second stuff, but we have a full camp we can get down to 160. We have no issue doing that, but we're not fighting at 75 next year. We're fighting at 60 or maybe 68. They are willing to go all the way back down to 60 for their next fight. He told me that. Okay, that's straight from Eddie Reynoso's mouth. And Eddie Reynoso, not a bullshitter. He really tells the truth. He tells you the way he feels and the way he sees it. So um, they talked about Charlo, Andre, Billy Joe Saunders, Calum Smith, and who's the fifth guy I'm forgetting? I'm forgetting somebody. Damn it. This is the problem with live shows. Oh, Gennady Golovkin. How the hell could I forget him? So three of those guys would likely be at 160 pounds. It is possible, though, that they'd ask Gennady to move up a few pounds. We'll see. But he said, of those five names, they're fighting two of them next year. Sign me up for that shit. Look, likely one of them will be Golovkin because the executives at the zone want it. So... Who's that second fight going to be with? Is it going to be Callum Smith, who's having trouble making 168? He looked emaciated at the last weigh-in. He looked shitty in the ring in his last fight. If they were willing to, to fight him, he's got, I think, the lineal championship at 168, right? That he's recognized as the guy because he went through the tournament and won it. That'd be a smart brand-building kind of thing for Canelo to continue building his brand uh, to a broader base to the UK fans. I think it'd be smart if they did... Uh, Golovkin and Smith. Those are not necessarily the two that I'd, I'd prefer him to fight, 
but that's likely who he will fight or possibly Golovkin and Billy Joe Saunders. But I think, um, why am I saying Golovkin now? After all year, Canelo said, hell no, I ain't doing business with that dude because now he's got a title and he looked even more vulnerable and older and slower in his last fight. Couldn't quite pull the trigger as much, right? So I, I think all that is, is what Canelo and his team are looking at now. So they're willing to take on big names and everything, but they're still wanting to hold every advantage possible. Same situation we saw with him fighting Kovalev, right? Okay, uh, let's talk about some boxers behaving badly. Um, Josh Taylor, who had a fantastic 2019. Fantastic year. Won the tournament. I think he's a contender for fighter of the year. I don't think Josh Taylor is the fighter of the year, but he's a contender. Um, fantastic performance and a fight of the year candidate against Regis Progre. So great year, but we've heard rumors that, that he, at least I have, there, there's some talk in the business that he's kind of a douchebag or he can act like a douchebag at times. And some recent, uh, some recent things that have popped up in his life kind of feed into those rumors because apparently, I don't know all the details, but apparently he called a doorman some sort of gay slur. I don't believe the doorman was gay. I don't know the ethnicity of the doorman. That has not been substantiated. People are guessing and assuming, but I don't know this person's ethnicity or sexual preference, but apparently, or religion, but apparently he called this guy some sort of racial or um, uh, gay homophobic slur and then called him orange. Now, I don't know of a racial slur of calling somebody orange, but and this is alleged because I see I, I, there, there's a comment here in the chat from ZasLev97 said, yet he didn't. Um, well, I don't know if you're talking about the Josh Taylor thing, but Josh Taylor admitted to this in a, in a social media post and apologized for it. So it is, he did do this, okay? Apparently he was drunk and acting a fool out in public. I think this was at a bar, nightclub, a hotel, something like that. And he called the doorman some sort of homophobic slur and orange. Now, again... I don't know what the hell orange is. Is he dissing the guy because he's a redhead? So yeah, Gail, Gail, who's a redhead in the chat says, you know, orange is either a ginger slur, which is redhead slur, or a slur on the Dutch. Go figure. So yeah, I don't know if the dude was Dutch, uh, if he was a redhead and he was dissing about him, if the, or if the dude was, look, I'm, I don't want to get political, but people that hate the president here in the United States call him orange. So maybe this person is a supporter of the American president and he was calling him orange. But also I asked this on Twitter because I've just never heard of a racial slur. I saw the headlines that said it was a racial slur. So I asked some of my UK followers. Um, Gail says Trump is not a redhead. Oh my God. Yes, but his skin is orange, Gail. He has this weird orange tan and this kind of orange hair. I don't know what color his hair is. So that's why I'm saying maybe he was making fun of the, Maybe the guy had a, a Trump shirt on. I don't know. But I asked everyone on Twitter, and they were saying that um, over in that part of the world, obviously there's a, there's a beef that goes back between the Catholics and the Protestants, and that uh, Catholics would call Protestants orange. So maybe this was some sort of religious slur. I honestly don't know. I, I really don't know. And that hasn't been substantiated in the stories I've seen. So people are taking liberties with the story for clickbait purposes. Either way, whether it was a slur on the guy's religion, his fake tan, uh, his the political affiliation he has, or, or possibly, I believe he was in China. 
I think he was in China. Correct me. I, I thought he was in Shanghai. And maybe he meant to call the guy yellow because that's a racial slur to Asian people. I'm saying this as someone who has an Asian wife. Okay. Before you jump down my throat, or I should say an Asian American wife. Don't kill me for saying this. Uh, like Floyd Mayweather, when he called Manny Pacquiao a yellow midget. Remember that? Yeah. A lot of you guys probably forgot about that. So orange, maybe Josh Taylor was so damn drunk. He meant to say yellow and said orange instead. I don't freaking know. <laughs> Maybe the guy was eating fruit. I don't know. Either way, Josh Taylor was acting like a drunk idiot in public and apologized for it. And it's a real shame. It's a horrible look because he had such a great year. But we have heard stuff about this guy's behavior before. That he could kind of be a bully and kind of a prick in person and a douche. Now, I'm not saying this from any experiences I've had. I've never met Josh Taylor. Okay, he hasn't fought over here yet. I haven't covered any of his events. I don't know. I'm just telling you what I've been told. Remember, I work with Boxing Monthly. A lot of guys over there in the UK scene, we chat. And these are some of the things I've heard. So uh, he looked like an idiot and he apologized for it as he should. Even worse, boxers behaving badly. Adrian Broner, a Cuyahoga County judge. That's Cleveland. That's the county around Cleveland, Ohio ordered Adrian Broner to pay, I think, over $800,000 in damages for sexual assault charges in a Cleveland nightclub last year. So once again, Adrian Broner acting like a moron and it costing him legal trouble and money. That means we're probably going to see him in the ring again early next year to pay that shit off. So look for him to get another opportunity he doesn't deserve in a fairly high-profile fight where he's going to be overpaid and use that money to pay this woman off. So there you go. Boxers behaving badly right before the end of the year. Guys, you got to, you know, you got to be, you want to be nice to get the presents from Santa or you want to be naughty and not get the presents. Taylor and and Broner are going to get coal in the freaking stocking. All right. Fights coming together for early 2020. Mikey Garcia, Jesse Vargas. We talked about this Monday that it was probably going to be Jesse Vargas. I couldn't say anything on the record. So I had to put that probably in front of it, but we knew it was going to be Jesse Vargas. February 29th, Ford Center in Frisco, Texas, on the zone at welterweight. So Mikey Garcia, he don't want to get back down to 140. He wants to be a little chubby and eat what he wants and stay at 147. A lot of people are picking Vargas from what I've seen on social media. I, regardless, you know, yes, Mikey's going to be a little bloated and everything, and Vargas is probably the more natural welterweight, although he's not really that natural of a welterweight himself not not a heavy hitting strong welterweight at all but mikey garcia just got more levels from a pound for pound elite level fighter sense so i expect mikey garcia to win this fight okay some ratings information terrence crawford and igadigis kavadiowskis peaked at 1.6 million views on espn last saturday now that's down 2.1 million from this, uh, a similar card between Lomachenko and Pedraza last year around the same time. That Heisman Trophy following following the Heisman Trophy ceremony, top rank does a card on ESPN. Last year's did 2.1 million. This year's did 1.6. Opponent matters. Fighter matters. And for whatever reason, last year's fight between Loma and Pedraza, just better demographics there. Uh, Lomachenko is getting more and more popular, but Pedraza being Puerto Rican, that being, I believe, a unification fight. And I think it was promoted better. That's probably why it did a better rating. Lomachenko, or I'm sorry, this year, Crawford, 
going up against Kavaliauskas, Lithuanian. There's not many Lithuanians in America. And um, a lot of people thought this was going to be a very one-sided fight. It actually turned out to be pretty exciting for a few rounds, but then it became completely one-sided when Bud hit a second gear. He just took over and tapped Kavaliauskas' ass. It was pretty entertaining though, right? So opponent matters. Terrence Crawford, did the last time he fought on regular ESPN, remember earlier this year he fought on pay-per-view against Amir Khan. That should have never been pay-per-view, but they had to, to to get the paydays. But last time he fought on regular ESPN was when he fought Benavidez last October, and that peaked at 2.8 million views. Demographics matter. Benavidez, Mexican-American. Opponents matter. People thought that would be a much more competitive fight. They were wrong. Turns out Kavaliauskas was more competitive than Benavidez. But these things matter, and they all uh, correlate to ratings. Super chat pledge from Jason82. Thank you so much, Jason. I appreciate it. He says, Rosado versus DSG for Philly bragging rights. Thoughts? Gabe Rosado is going to be a lot bigger than Danny Garcia. Um, I don't know if we'd ever see that fight. Because Danny would have to move up and wait. Does Danny Garcia want to move up? So if they, in a pound for pound sense, obviously Danny Garcia is the better fighter. At this stage of his career, though, I don't quite know where he's at and where his head is. But if he were willing to move up to 54, they could figure out some sort of catchweight or something. Sure, I'd welcome that. It'd be entertaining just because of the size difference. Skill difference in favor of Garcia, but size difference, natural strength, in favor of Rosado. And for my money, I, I still think Danny Garcia would probably decision him, but uh, Gabe Rosado would definitely have his moments. But Danny Swift would probably win a decision. Thanks for the super chat, man. I appreciate it. All right, guys, real quick. Um, 2020 heavyweight landscape coming together. Some of these things are starting to play out the way I told you they would. Looks like Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder were fighting not once next year, but twice. I've been saying that for a while now, but officially on the record, Frank Warren said it in an interview this week. I can't remember what site or platform it was through or whatever, but I saw the quotes. Uh, Frank Warren said, yeah, we're probably going to fight. They're supposed to fight in February 22nd, I believe it is. But then this summer, they want to do it again. So that means top rank and PBC who are working together in the heavyweight division because they've spent millions of dollars in over a year now promoting the rematch between Fury and Wilder. They want the big payoff and they see it, man, we could do three pay-per-views here. Even if I think the first one did like 300,000 buys, right? 325,000 buys. Let's say the rematch does twice that. Let's say it does six, 700,000 buys. If it's actually a good entertaining fight, that's close again and controversial. They do it a third time. Maybe they get close to a million for the third one. It's possible. I don't know. I, I don't think so. But if they were able to get at least 600 or so with the second one and seven, 800,000 with the third one, that's a lot of money to whack up. So that's their plan. I don't like it, but that's their plan. And that's what's happening in 2020. That means on the other side of the street with Anthony Joshua, slash Alexander Usyk. The scenario that I've been telling you guys about since I was in Chicago and talked to Eddie Hearn, he basically, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, told me this is what they're going to do. They've got two mandatories right now. They're going to fight Kubrat Pulev first. They're talking about fighting Pulev in April. 
They want to have time to promote that the right way. They don't want to jump right into it and fight in like February or something. They're thinking April. And they've got tentatively scheduled. Usyk was going to fight Derek Chisora in March. So what they're trying to see right now, Eddie Hearn's going to talk to the BO and see, hey, can we make Usyk Chisora for the vacant WBO title? If we vacate, will you guys hook this up? If they do that, then Eddie Hearn controls the WBO either way because Usyk's going to beat Chisora. So then later in the year, they could spend the rest. AJ's only going to fight twice next year. They could spend the rest of the year promoting a unification between Joshua and Alexander Usyk. So you're going to have a situation here where the PBC is going to call slash top rank. They're going to call the winner of Wilder Fury the lineal, undisputed, heavyweight champion. And for the record, it is a number one versus number two because right now Fury and Wilder are seen as the top two heavyweights almost universally, not not quite universally, but for the the majority of, of platforms and publications have them number one and number two. So you can make the argument, that the winner of that fight is the lineal heavyweight champion. But then the other side of the street, you're going to have Matchroom and zone saying, we got the real heavyweight champion because we got all the hardware. Whether it's Joshua or Usyk at the end of 2020, they got the BA, the IBF, and the BO. So they got all the hardware. The other guy's going to have the WBC and ring championship. So you're still going to have this Cold War thing happening at heavyweight. As long as it all comes together in 2021, I guess it's all good. So that's it for news and notes, guys. Uh, let's preview. So we're going to preview two weeks of stuff here, okay? Real quick, we're going to fly through this and then get to the chat. But um, so again, just another reminder, all right? I'm not trying to repeat this a million times to be annoying, but no show next week. Got family coming, everything else. I got an assignment I got to do for Ring. I actually got two assignments for the next issue of the Ring. And then I, I'm covering a fight. So fight week, I got to negotiate picking up people from airports and, and driving people around and then getting downtown to cover all these events. It's going to be crazy. By the way, I'm not just going to interview Javante Davis and his people. I'm going to be talking to Evander Holyfield. So if you guys have any questions you want me to ask the former undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, get him at me and I will ask him because I'm going to meet him and uh, some of his people this week or next week. All right, guys, Thursday, that's today. December 19th, there's a matchroom card from London on the zone featuring cruiserweight prospect Richard Rukpori, who's 10-0, foot five cruiserweight. That's kind of crazy. Managed by Dillian White. So this probably already happened at the time you're seeing this, but I just wanted to put it out there. Those of you who have the zone, you got some fights you can watch today. So if you missed it live, go back and check that out. Tomorrow, December 20th, another matchroom card on the zone. This from the Talking Stick Resort Arena. In Phoenix, Arizona, Daniel Jacobs taking on Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. And so Daniel Jacobs, now remember, I have to give the background here. This fight was supposed to happen in Vegas. Chavez is training at the wildcard gym with Freddie Roach in Los Angeles. A VADA testing official shows up to collect a sample from him, and he refuses the Vada official is there for hours. It's not like he was there for 15 minutes and said, all right, I'm out of here. He waited for hours while Matchroom got on the phone with Chavez and his people begging him for hours to provide the sample. So when Uncle Eddie and everyone at Matchroom says, oh, this was an in and out thing. No, 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 no. This was an all day thing. 
And they got on the phone. They know they were calling him like, you know, provide the fucking sapo. You know, they were trying to get him to do it. He didn't do it. So he gets suspended by the Nevada Commission, right? Now, this week, they finally let it go. This week, so he can officially legally fight now in Phoenix. They, they finally said this week there was a hearing in Nevada, and they said, hey, it's all good, man, whatever, because they're, they're doing some testing for this fight now. It's a joke, the company that's running it. They're nothing like Vada. And by the way, it was also spun that Vada didn't want to do testing anymore for the fight, and, you know, uh, once they left Nevada and, you know, uh, Matchroom and them reached out. I've heard people saying different things like that. Vada respected nevada's suspension that's why they stopped doing testing it's not for any political thing or anything like that they respected nevada's suspension by the way so did the california commission because eddie hearn tried to take this fight to la first you think he wanted to go to phoenix first he wanted to go to la and andy foster correctly said no because he also the best commission in boxing on earth the california commission respected nevada's suspension so anyway it goes to Phoenix. And Daniel Jacobs makes the 168-pound limit today. Julio Cesar Chavez comes in about eight pounds over. Is anybody surprised? I mean, there was some shock and awe I saw on Twitter. But for the most part, people were just laughing. It, this shit is... It's just comical with this dude. And he is truly the most privileged boxer in the history of the sport. He can do whatever the hell he wants. It doesn't matter. Eddie Hearn forum shopped this fight around to several different commissions it lands in arizona where it's still in the southwestern united states a large mexican-american population the tickets are priced correctly so they took it there because they can do a better crowd in phoenix for the money and get more return on their dollar than in new york where daniel jacobs is from think about that think about how messed up that is daniel jacobs has sacrificed a lot won titles, fought some of the best fighters in the world. And he's kind of getting shafted here. But in the end, he's getting a good payday and he's going to be in there with a walking corpse. And this is going to be a good-looking victory for Daniel Jacobs. I expect him to win in a big, big way. And a lot of people are going to be watching this, I think, because they're so fed up with Chavez, including a lot of Mexican-American fans. The biggest, baddest fan base in all of boxing here in the USA that really holds down the sport here in North America a lot of a lot of Mexican American fans that I know, like friends of mine, they're fed up with this dude. They're going to be watching, rooting for Jacobs. They're going to be watching, hoping to see Chavez get his comeuppance, like against Andres Fonfara and in some other fights he's had. So, kind of funny the way these things go, man. Also on this card, Julio Cesar Martinez Aguiar fighting Chris, Christopher Rosales for the vacant WBC flyweight title. And veterans on this card, Maurice Hooker, Liam Smith, Gabe Rosado. If for some reason Julio Cesar Chavez decides, you know, I don't want to do this fight, and he just leaves at the last second, Gabe Rosado's still in there as a last-minute replacement. Also, welterweight prospects who were both in the 2016 Olympics, Daniar Yelinusiov, Yelinus, oh, Jesus, Yelisonov, Daniar Yelisonov, 8 and 0. Kazakhstan native now, lives and trains out of Miami. Two-time Olympian, 2012, 2016. He's on the card. And Josh Kelly, 9-0-1, coming off a majority draw with Ray Robinson. Ray Robinson has given two tough draws 
Most people felt he lost those fights, but two tough draws to Kavalyowskis and now Kelly recently. Anyway, so uh, two good welterweight prospects. I'd love to see them fight each other at some point. That would be awesome. That's tomorrow, Saturday, December 21st. Dennis Lebedev, who retired briefly, came out of retirement. He's fighting Tabiso Munchu in Russia. And wouldn't you know it, one of the sanctioning organizations. I can't, it's either the BC or BA. They're pretty much interchangeable, those two. They're both laughing stocks. The BC does do some good work, you guys know. Weight management, performance enhancing drugs testing. I like that stuff. They're way better than the BA in that regard. But they throw belts in wherever they can. So they threw some interim vacant some other belt on this. Um, That's going on in Russia. Daniel Dubois fighting a Japanese heavyweight. Never thought you'd hear those two words go together, right? Japanese heavyweight. In London, that is picked up by ESPN+. Plus. So uh, that will be on the plus. You can see with Daniel Dubois. I tweeted out there, is this going to go four rounds? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to go four rounds. Uh, this Japanese dude, I got to say, I saw the stare down. He would not look Daniel Dubois in the eye. He looked, but then again, these Japanese fighters, a lot of times they are tough. They are really, really tough. We shall, we shall see what happens. PBC on Fox, TGB Promotions, Toyota Arena, Ontario, California. I think the undercard bouts are on Fox Sports 1, which is an awesome thing that PBC does on Fox. I really like how they do that. You get to see the the undercard fights, the the kids coming up on Fox Sports 1, then the main card on Fox. I think that's awesome. And then they do some uh, after after the card, some follow-up stuff, shoulder programming. Sometimes they'll put that back over on FS1. I love that setup they have with Fox. It's, It's really, really cool. Tony Harrison defending his WBC junior middleweight title for the first time against Jermel Charlo. These two fought late last year. And Charlo fought once this year. He got a voluntary defense in. Tony Harrison on the shelf all year. So Harrison was injured. I get that. There's an injury, recovery, all that good stuff. But he got injured before he was supposed to fight Charlo in their rematch. That was originally scheduled earlier in the year. For the life of me, I can't understand why Tony Harrison didn't get a voluntary defense, whether it be February, March, somewhere in that time frame, in Detroit, where he's from. That would be huge for that community. That community starving for something positive like that in the boxing game. It'd be huge for them there. I'm not saying Tony Harrison's a big star. He, he, he's not going to sell more than five, 6,000 tickets. But they could scale down a, a moderately sized arena, maybe not in downtown Detroit, but in one of the suburbs. And it, he could have fought somebody in front of five, six, seven thousand 7,000 fans and got a voluntary defense in. But that's not what happened. He's going to be coming off a one-year layoff and an injury and recovery. So this is all sorts of lined up for Jamel Charlo to win. And you guys know, I've been telling you all year, I just think Charlo's going to win this rematch, and he's going to win it big because of all the factors I just said. For a guy like Harrison, who depends on feints, movement, footwork, lateral movement, pivoting, all that stuff, spacing, timing, distance... Man, ring rust is your worst enemy. If he was a power, if you're a power puncher, yeah, you got to set up your power, but it's much easier to get into a groove and work through some ring rust if you rely on power to get by rather than reflexes. Ring rust is horrible for defensive fighters. It should, if you're an older defensive fighter, you need rest. That's different. I'm not talking about that. 
I'm talking about laying off for a year during your physical prime and coming off an injury. And you're a guy who relies on reflexes and movement. This doesn't bode well for Tony Harrison. I like Charlo Big in this fight. Also on this card, Jack Tapora out of the Philippines fighting Colombian Oscar Escandon, who has lost four of his last five going back to 2015. That's a featherweight fight. I think the Filipino is going to win big on that one. Also on this card, heavyweight prospect Efea Jagba. Remember him? Some of you just forgot about the guy all of a sudden because he had a poor performance last time. Or I shouldn't say poor. He won the fight. Lackluster. Look, he's still a heavyweight prospect to keep an eye on, so make sure you check him out. Hugo Centeno Jr. and Andre Durrell all fighting on that card. Monday, December 23rd. You got boxing on Monday. Also picked up by ESPN+. Plus. They're having a kick-ass end of the year. Picked up some of these little cards. A card from Kanagawa, Japan. Chocolatito is on this card. Roman Gonzalez is on this card in an eight-rounder. So it's worth it just for that. One of the best little fighters I've ever seen. Now, is he anywhere near his best? Hell no. But anytime he fights, I'm going to watch. And, and... Look, do I want to see Chocolatito fight one of the top champions right now? Hell no. But if he's in there with a mid-level guy, I'm going to check him out. This is Monday, again, from Japan, ESPN+. Ryota Murata going up against Canadian Stephen Butler. uh, First defense of Murata's WBA regular title that he won back in the rematch uh, where he had lost it, I think, late last year. Won it back early this year. And now this is the first defense. Uh, his second reign is WBA regular middleweight champion, whatever the hell that means. To me, the term champion and regular shouldn't go together. That's like saying you're a regular superstar. You're a regular boss. I, I don't know. It just doesn't go together, man. Anyway, also uh, another Japanese fighter, of course, this cards in Japan, Kenshiro Taraji. Going up against Filipino Randy Patalkorin. Patalkorin, seventh defense of Shiro's WBC junior flyweight title. That's 108 pounds. These are little guys. And then also on this card, Maruti Mathialain out of South Africa going up against Akira Yegashi. Third defense of Mathialain's IBF flyweight title. That's a good little card. Little dudes. Going to be fun, man. Going to be fun. And I like Riolo Murata. And I hear good things about this Stephen Butler that he can bang a little bit. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting middleweight scrap, I think, in the main event. And, man, boxing on Monday? Sign me up for that shit. That's Christmas Eve Eve with some boxing. That's nice. Next Saturday, December 28th, over in France, Arsene Gollumerian, 25-0, 17 knockouts, cruiserweight defending his WBA cruiserweight title over there in France and then here in Atlanta Georgia my new adopted backyard at the State Farm Arena downtown TGB promotions and Mayweather promotions on Showtime putting together this this card where Gervonta Davis his first fight at lightweight going up against a very old and faded but still Game still skilled, still uh, dangerous, I think, at least for a first few rounds. Yoriokis Gamboa. However, I got to say about Gamboa, the last elite level opponent he ever fought was a lightweight, weight drained Terrence Crawford back in 2014. Okay? Terrence Crawford now is a full fledged welterweight. You go back five years ago, he was melted down to 135. 
That's the last time Gamboa fought somebody at the elite level. How'd that fight go? Gamboa had moments, but he got stopped, right? I think that's going to happen here. This is set up, obviously, for a big knockout splash win for Davis on Showtime here in the Atlanta market where I talked to Leonard Ellerby last week. I talked to Steven Espinoza. They really want to start moving Gervonta Davis around to different, as they put it, this is them saying it, not me, urban markets, um, black, culturally black um, cities like Baltimore, Atlanta, where there's a lot of um, pop culture and a lot of money to tap into, right? This city down here is wide open, man. They just had a Super Bowl down here, right? So in terms of sports marketing and the entertainment industry and all that, Atlanta's pretty hot right now. You think of what Detroit was in the 50s and stuff like that with Motown and all that going on. Atlanta's kind of the 21st century version of that. So they definitely want to tap into this. And I didn't realize this until talking with those guys, but Gervonta Davis actually has a second home down here. He has a daughter down here. I think his daughter, the daughter's mother or something is from Atlanta, I, I believe. And so he lives down here a part of the year. So um, interesting. I didn't know that. But there, it was actually Gervonta Davis who wanted to fight down here in Atlanta. And they're going to come back here. So we'll see what happens with the crowd. But this is set up. This is for the vacant WBA lightweight title. So this is set up for Davis to grab another title and another weight class. And it's going to be impressive. It's going to be impressive, his victory. Now, when I say impressive, I'm not saying impressive for me in terms of, wow, this proves a lot. It really doesn't. But it's going to be impressive the way it looks. It's going to be explosive. It's going to look like Richard Comey's win. I'm sorry. (laughs) Teofimo Lopez's win over Richard Comey. It's going to look like that. It's going to be that explosive, concussive kind of uh, knockout and that stoppage that really gets people talking. And you're going to see gifts of the knockout and stuff all over social media uh, through the end of the year. So that's what Javante Davis has coming up with Gamboa next Saturday. Also on this card, an interesting fight between Jean Pascal, who beat Marcus Brown in August, and Badu Jack, who lost to Marcus Brown in a close competitive fight in January. So both of these guys fought Marcus Brown this year, had different results, Pascal dropped Brown several times, landed some beautiful counters, won the WBA light heavyweight title. This will be his first defense of that title's first fight since uh, he beat Brown in August. And I think all things considered where these two guys are at in their careers, their styles, everything else, it's going to be an entertaining fight, man. I'm looking forward to that fight. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'll say, um, also, Jose Uzcatagay is on the card. And super bantamweight, Prospect out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, Angelo Leo, who is 18-0. He will be on the card, too. So that's what's up over the next couple weeks, guys. And then, as I said, after that Davis card, we'll do a show from the brand-new Montero Unboxing Studio. It's going to be awesome. Those of you who follow me on Twitter, Instagram, you saw I posted just a little picture of the backdrop uh, yesterday on my social. So uh, the Monday after, December 30th, we're going to be there in the studio. We're going to review all the stuff that's coming up over the next couple of weeks. And then we'll talk some year-end stuff. And we're going to celebrate, man. It's been a great 2019. Not just for boxing, but uh, for, for everything, man. It's, and I'm so blessed to have all of you guys in my life supporting me in this show. I love chopping it up with you guys twice a week. And we're going to do it even more next year. 
including phone calls. So you guys are going to be able to call uh, via Skype. And the reason why I'm going with Skype is because that way, because I have followers of this show all over the world. You guys can call me from anywhere in the world as long as you have Skype. So that's going to be awesome, man. That's coming up next year, guys. It's going to take a couple of uh, testing kind of rollouts. So we're going to go live on Spreaker and get that up and running. So eventually, we're going to be going live on Spreaker and YouTube simultaneously and taking calls on Skype, which is just going to be awesome, man. And we should have all this running within the next few months. We're going to do it piece by piece. But the first step will be next, next Monday in the new studio so you guys can see the new look and feel. All right, let's get to the chat real quick. We'll do a few Q&A a few questions here and then we will bounce out so that I can get dinner. There's a new kebab place down the street, Persian kebab, like a mile down the street that I saw today when I was coming home from the gym and I was like, oh shit, Tiffany, we're going there for dinner. So that's where we're going. (laughs) Uh, Let's see here. All right, guys, get these questions in, man. Oh, Vlad is asking me, uh, the Christmas tree, did you help Tiff? I did help. That thing's seven feet tall. She didn't do all that by herself, but she did do most of it. And right here, you see the stair rails, which, by the way, are handcrafted. I stained all that wood and everything else. I built half the shit in this damn house. Um, She did that, what do I call that, garland and the lights and all that in there and everything. Uh, We got two fireplaces in this house, and she put all kinds of cool lighting and stuff around the fireplaces. We have a very festive, charming home. It's getting, uh, it's, it's like 95% done on the inside. I didn't even touch the damn yard yet. And I have a carport, which I have to convert to a garage. I'm going to start doing that like next month. So the outside is coming next year, but we almost got like, we, like 95% done inside. It's, it's getting there. It's awesome. Okay. Um, let's see here. Goodfellas with a good question. Who do you think Tank will fight after Gamboa? Good question, dude. I asked the same thing to Leonard Ellerby. And he kind of said, well, well, we're, we're you know, he kind of gave me the uh, political answer. He did tell me, Leonard Ellerby, that um, they want to do a pay-per-view fight next year with Tank Davis. They really want to introduce him to the pay-per-view market. I don't think he's ready for it, but that's what they want to do. I'm trying to think about which opponent makes the most sense for them to go that route, right? I think it's Leo Santa Cruz. They're not going to fight Lomachenko. Lomachenko's fighting uh, Tifima Lopez, and I think that's in April. So he's tied up till April anyway. I think Lomachenko's going to beat Lopez. I think Lopez is going to move up and wait. I think Loma might move down and wait after that fight. By the way, Loma did call out Tank Davis. I just don't see that fight happening. I think Tank Davis is going to fight, if I had to guess... Leo Santa Cruz. Is that going to be the next fight? Probably not. But I think at some point in 2020, you're going to see Javante Davis, Leo Santa Cruz on a pay-per-view card. I don't know if that's going to be the headliner. Don't shoot the messenger. But that's just that's me guessing based off what I've been told. Next week, I'll see Leonard again. I'll see Steven Espinosa again. I'll see those guys in person. And I'll push him a little more. Like, dude, what are you guys going to do? I don't know if I'll get any time with Floyd. It's hard to get two minutes alone with With Floyd. It's always these a crowd of people shoving a camera in his face. I hate doing interviews like that. I just don't do it. I like to get one-on-one. If I can get two minutes alone with Floyd, I'll try to press him and ask him about that. All right? I will. I promise you guys. Let's see. 
Ah, damn it. I lost. Uh, there was a good question there and I lost it. Piglet Smith asks, who gives Lomachenko the biggest challenge, 135 and under? Oh, it might be Teofimo Lopez right now. Um, Gervonta Davis might be the best challenge for him right now. I, Gervonta hasn't really proven himself, I, I, but, you know, he's fought a couple of good fighters. He is explosive and compact. I see uh, Vlad is mentioning Devin Haney. I think he very well could, but he's going to be out of commission right now because he was injured, he had surgery, he's got to recover. So maybe once he's recovered. But I got to say, man, both Gervonta Davis and Tiafima Lopez have fought and beat better opposition than Devin Haney. And I don't think Devin Haney is going to be at 135 for very long. I have some inside information on this related to Haney making weight for lightweight that I can't talk about on the record. Just trust me on this one, guys. In a big matchup where people are going to be watching, he's not going to be at 35 much longer. He's, he's going to have to go to 140. So I just, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I can't see anybody right now beating Lomachenko, this version of him. In a few years, these guys are all going to be too much for him because Loma's going to get too old. They're going to continue to get bigger and better and more explosive and learn how to sit down on their punches and set power up and everything. But um, for right now, I just can't see anybody beating him, man. He's special. By the way, I think the same thing about Terrence Crawford. I don't think there's anybody at 147 that beats him, including Errol Spence, especially given his situation right now. Terrence Crawford is special, man. Coster asked a good question. Best, best fight available to make in 2020? Ooh, man, I got to think about that one because I told you guys about some of the fights that are coming up. Off the top of my head, I like Joshua Usyk a lot. If that fight happens at the end of the year where Usyk has already fought um, Chisora and proven he could take a heavyweight punch and um, beat a quality heavyweight, and, and Chisora is on the bubble of top 10, just under top 10. He's top dozen or so heavyweight right now in the world. Um, that fight is justified. And, you know, because Usyk will have proven himself against a, a decent heavyweight. He'll have a title. That's makeable. That's what Eddie Hearn wants to do. And I think it'll be a big event in London. And Usyk has fought in London before, in the Olympics, but also, uh, or not, maybe not the Olympics, but um, was it the Olympics? No, he, he's fought in world championships in the UK before. And he's fought in London against Tony Bellew. So he has experience fighting over there. I think that that will be a, a, an important fight. That's just off the top of my head. But um, we're not going to get the winner of AJ Fury. Or I'm sorry. We're not going to get the winner of Wilder Fury 2 against the winner of AJ Pulev. They're not going to cross the street, guys. Like I said before, Wilder and Fury are fighting twice next year. They're going to have – Wilder will probably win the rematch. And then because there was a draw in the first fight, that will justify a third fight. And that's what they're going to do. So you're, you're just not going to get him crossing the street. Crawford and Spence are not going to fight. Um, I'd love to see Canelo and Charlo. I'd like to see that just because of the style matchup. Not going to happen. Uh, maybe Baturbiev and Bivol. Somehow that could be worked out. I, I don't know. That'd be a pretty great fight. Um, Caleb Plant 
fighting uh, Benavidez at 168. That's all PBC in-house. That's a good fight. I'd like to see that. There's some, there's some definite possibilities here. And look, Tank Davis against Leo Santa Cruz, if that really does happen, that's a good fight, man. That's a good fight because Santa Cruz will be by far the best opponent Tank Davis has fought. So that would kind of be a proving ground for him. Oh, by the way, Lomachenko Lopez. How about that one? I keep, I keep glancing over that. That's a huge fight, guys. That's a really important fight. And then we don't know if the World Boxing Super Series is coming back. If they do, there's going to be good matchups there. So we're going to be good in 2020. Trust me. We're going to be good. Gail says, Montero, when you're done, I need you to move here to San Diego for a few months to get some renovation work done for me. Hell yeah, Gail. I'm down. I'm down. I've gotten pretty good at this shit, believe it or not. I had to screw a lot of things up, but I've gotten pretty good at it. Super chat pledge from Tim Shee, who says, just stopping by to say Merry Christmas, buddy. Thank you so much, Tim. I appreciate that. Merry Christmas to you and yours. And um, thank you all you guys for watching the show and everyone who's contributed, whether it be Super Chat, Patreon, buying a t-shirt, whatever it is, or just spreading the word about the show, the channel. I can't tell you uh, guys how much it means to me and how much I thank you. John Uden says, Mike, do you think Jose Ramirez versus Taylor or Progray can take place in 2020? Also, will Burchelt stay at 130 or take on guys at lightweight? Awesome questions, man. Um, yes, I absolutely think that Jose Ramirez and Josh Taylor will fight by the end of 2020. I, I know that both sides are interested in the fight. Maybe Ramirez fights Progray first or it's something like that happens, you know, and we might have to wait a little bit longer. But I know that Grandpa Bob uh, will try to work that out. Is Ramirez going to want to go over to the UK for that fight? I don't know. Um, I, I hope that can happen. I definitely think it's possible, okay? Eddie Hearn and, and, um, and Grandpa Bob don't necessarily get along, but they can make business. So I hope we see that fight. But also keep this in mind. I just forgot about this, this point. Um, Terrence Crawford needs opponents. And at some point, I think Grandpa Bob would like to match Jose Carlos Ramirez, who has a big following in upstate California, against Terrence Crawford, who has a big following in his hometown. You could probably put them right in the middle. Between California and Nebraska, Vegas is kind of in the middle. You could probably have those two guys fight in Vegas and they'd probably do pretty good numbers. And then what was your other question? Oh, Burchelt. I think Burchelt's eventually going to move up to lightweight. He's eventually going to move up. He has to at some point. But uh, his next couple fights will be at 130 for show. Scott Brown says, Tank versus Leo Santa Cruz will sell almost no pay-per-view. Look, dude, it'll probably be like... N- number one, let me, let me, let me say this. Javante Davis has surprised me. He does move tickets and he does kind of move the needle. He is, he, he's growing in certain communities. And a lot of it is because of the Floyd Mayweather Association. Floyd has said, this is my guy. All my followers, all my cult members, you know, follow this dude. So there is some of that happening. But I, I do think that Tank is building up his profile. Keep in mind, too, Leo Santa Cruz has a big profile in, in Los Angeles, in California. So if they did Tank Santa Cruz in Los Angeles at Staples or something, I think, number one, it does a good crowd. Pay-per-view, yeah, 200000 something like that. But, dude, 
200,000 at 80 bucks a pop, you start doing the math, that's a career high payday for both of those guys. So it's possible. Again, none of this is official. It's all speculation. It's just me giving you guys my thoughts based on conversations I've had with the people involved and just how I see it playing out. Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I get it wrong. I do get it right more than I get it wrong, though. All right. Michael Mindiolo, what's up, bro? He says, Tank damn near sold out StubHub, and it was freezing that night. Yeah, the dude moves the needle, I'm telling you guys. He just, he needs to step up his opposition. Scott Brown says, Tank KOs the bums he is supposed to. I give him that. Well, they haven't matched him very tough. And believe me, I will have opportunities to, to speak to everybody next week. I will bring up these questions, okay? The thing is, um, they're very good at, Tank's team is very good at spinning and deflecting, okay? And moving on to the next question, it's very clear that their plan is to slowly build up his name. However, I do believe Leonard Ellerby, when he says they want to step him up next year, they, they can't put him on pay-per-view against Uriokas Gamboa or somebody like that. They can't do it. Do I think Leo Santa Cruz and Javante Davis belong on pay-per-view? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But they are names with fan bases. And between the two of them, you're going to get two, 300,000 pay-per-view buys. 200,000 or so pay-per-view buys. And again, you start doing the math, that's career high, pay, career high paydays for both of them. And then at that point, going forward to 2021, because I think Gervonta Davis would probably win that fight, his, uh, his pay rate, pay grade is a notch higher. He's a notch higher up that food chain, right? So I think that's the plan with him. Goodfellas Pulp Fiction says, Floyd was the master at answering a question by not answering a question. Yes. Leonard Ellerby is very good at that too. Uh, Leonard Ellerby is a really charming guy. You talk to him, he's very, very cordial and charming. He's a nice guy. And he's very much a politician. And I think he's taught Floyd some skills with that. Floyd's not nearly as good at it as Leonard is because Floyd does it in this crass, smug kind of way for the most part. But Leonard will, he's like a politician, dude. You ask him a question, a tough question, and he pivots to another thing. And you want to be like, damn it, Leonard, answer my question. But he's so charming about it. You're like, all right, man, well, I'll ask you next time. (laughs) So I'll try to push him next week. I will. Trust me, guys. You know me. You know I'm going to ask the tough questions. B. Butemail with the Super Chat Pledge. Thank you so much. He says, Mike, who are the overlooked trainers? Atlas, Pop, Loma. Hmm. You know who's the overlooked trainer? I'll give you two. Bomack and um, Stephen Breadman Edwards. Brian McIntyre works with, um, with Terrence Crawford and Jamel Herring. And I'm not going to give you guys, I'm not going to give you a, a spoiler here, but I worked on the trainer of the year piece for the next issue of Ring Magazine. I had to get that in this week to Doug. And I was looking at our list of nominees and those two dudes were missing. We had some good nominees. Every nominee we had on there belonged there. We had people from all over the world. But I looked at them like, wait a minute, wait a second. Bomac's missing and Breadband's missing. Both of these dudes are seriously top candidates and might be the trainer of the year. 
Seriously. So I, I emailed a couple folks, you know, not just Doug, but one of, the, one of our other editors, Tom Gray. And I said, look, man, we need to get these guys on the nominees list. These guys are being overlooked. So I, I think that Breadman doesn't get the respect he deserves. <clears throat> I've chilled with Breadman and talked with him a little bit privately. Um, good dude, boxing historian. <clears throat> and he's no bias in that dude whatsoever. None. That's one of the things I love about him. He keeps it real across the board, regardless of nationality, uh, ethnicity, whatever it is, platform you fight on, network, whatever. that dude keeps it real. And Bomack, look what he's done for Jamel Herring once he came over and started working with Terrence Crawford's team. Uh, look, look at how much better Jamel Herring looks. Uh, he, he's an underrated trainer for sure. Thank you for the super chat. All right, guys, I'm losing my voice here. We've been going on YouTube for just under an hour. We're at 59 and a half minutes. So I'm going to cut it off here. I want to say again, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, whatever it is you celebrate or don't celebrate. I wish you nothing but happiness to you, your family, your friends, your loved ones. I consider you guys my family. Thank you so much for all the support and for watching the show. No show next week, but we will be back Next, next Monday, December 30th, from the brand new Montero Unboxing Studio that I built with my bare hands. It's going to be awesome. All right, guys. Have a good night. And for those of you in Atlanta, next Saturday, I'll see you at the fights. <laughs>